Amen. We praise Him this morning. We thank Him and welcome Him here this morning. I hope you've done the same. As I get my technology going, if you want to go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5, that'll get us started. Galatians chapter 5, where God is going to bring something to our minds that has a great many meanings to a great many people, especially religious people. And this label, the Spirit of God, has been attributed to many things that honestly had nothing to do with Him whatsoever. And uh, it was honestly probably a time when God did not want His name put on something um, because it was not of Him. And you can just do a quick YouTube search with parent permission and uh, see all sorts of craziness. I had one come up this past week. I don't even know how it, how it came to my feed, but um, I do watch a lot of YouTube messages and stuff like that. So this came up, some revival. It was about 20 years ago. It's still going on today, by the way. Um, there's a whole lot in the apostolic movement and other, other places like that that are doing all sorts of crazy things in the name of God and His Spirit. But I saw one about 20 years ago, and it rose up within me, anger. Meaning, those poor people. Those poor people being led by that charlatan that this is spiritual. And I don't even know how they were doing what they're doing, apart from like demonic activity. I, I don't know, I don't pretend to know how that stuff happens. Demonism is very real. Or if the people are just faking, but literally convulsing in their seats and flopping on the floor as the pastor walks over and puts his hand just over the top of their head. Everybody on the front row. Aren't you glad you're not sitting on the front row? Sitting on the front row, but they wanted that. I mean, literally, as I mean, and that's mild. I mean, literally, they were like crazy people. And somehow that's spiritual. I mean, what, honestly, what even is the point in that? As if God just does weirdo things for no reason whatsoever. That's not Christianity. That is some weird attempt to gain some kind of feeling or something. I don't even know what would draw a person into that. But there's a plenty of needs out there in the world. And if the devil can come up with a counterfeit that he thinks will meet your need, there are people who will swallow it by the thousands, maybe by the millions. The devil is a master counterfeiter. This morning we're on week number 11. Week number 11, one more week. Next week we'll be dealing with our devotional life, a very important staple in discipline in the life of a Christian. Really, it, we, sometimes we can get that devotional life almost like a magic pill as well. Well, I didn't have my devotions today, that's, that's why I, I didn't do right. Um, or I had my devotions all this week and now I'm good to go spiritually, as if it becomes just an action. Devotional just means devoted living a life that is devoted to him. And it's piggybacks, really, because that's just a term, piggybacks really off the concept of living a life that's centered around God. And what that means in the New Testament age is living a life that is obedient and submissive to the Spirit of God, who in the New Testament church age comes and dwells in each and every believer. And we'll see that here this morning. But so many of us, myself included, can get wrapped up in all sorts of fleshly things with all sorts of different labels, good labels, bad labels, but really have nothing to do with God, and we really leave God alone. He doesn't leave us alone. We leave Him alone. 
I've entitled the message, um, it's kind of a piggyback a little bit off of our week, but seven marks of a spirit-filled life. Now you say, wow, it's going to be late. Well, they're going to be quick, okay? But let me just say this. We're going to look this morning at a passage in Galatians chapter 5. If I didn't already say that, Galatians 5, 16, we'll start there. And then Wednesday night, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 uh, with our discussion, all talking about the spirit-filled life. This morning, we're going to talk about some marks of it, some evidences of whether you are living a spirit-filled life or not. And then Wednesday night, we're going to discuss in our fellowship groups what that could look like in some practical areas of life. And amazingly enough, the way we live um, has so much to do with the relationships that we are around. Um, You know, I don't know that anybody in here would want this, but being a hermit really is not a spiritual concept, okay? Being a recluse, being a solitary person, that's not a, God has designed us to move in and out of relationships. I don't mean out in a negative way, but to navigate relationships throughout our entire existence here. And he patterns everything in our spiritual life after that. I think because relationships was originated with him. It has to be that for that reason, I would guess. Um, he can tell me different and you different when we get to heaven, but... You see this over and over and over in the scriptures. And in Galatians chapter 5, we we are faced with the two major life choices that each and every one of us regularly make. Regularly. As a believer, am I going to live life under the influence of God's Spirit? Or, to put it basically, am I going to live life under the influence of me? Am I going to search for His wisdom? Obey his wisdom, seek his wisdom, look for his direction, look for his leadership in my life, obey his commands, or am I going to just pretty much rest in the wisdom that I know and that I'm able to learn around with from people around me, or am I going to rest in my planning and my direction and and the things that I think I should do? Those are the, I mean, those are the basic choices we make regularly, right? Almost daily, it seems like, sometimes multiple times a day. Apostle Paul in Galatians, which we'll be in, uh, in Galatians 2.20, we were familiar with this verse, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Well, we have a, a paradox there. I mean, are you dead or are you alive? Well, here's a concept. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. As we go through the book of Galatians here, we see that this is a letter written to a church, an assembled group of believers on how to live the Christian life. Could we say more uh, specifically in this epistle, this letter, how to live a spirit-filled life, a life that is controlled and submitted and directed by the Spirit of God. The context here in Paul's letter, a letter written in the New Testament is called an epistle. Uh, This is to the church at Galatia. This was a a city, a metropolis city. Paul spends time kind of halting some false doctrines that are sweeping into this church that that he had a hand in starting it. It revolved around circumcision, which we're not going to discuss this morning, but this was a major component in Jewish culture. So major, honestly, I don't think I really understand all the ramifications of how important this was to them. Because to me, it's like, no big deal. You either do it or you don't. What's the big deal? Right? But... Everything in their culture revolved around this. The matter was so intertwined in their culture that um, it became a determining factor even on whether they would associate with people, whether you were circumcised or not. It became a matter of pride. 
I'm circumcised, you're not. Or my family has um, been obedient in this. It became a major source of self-righteousness, a major source of self-righteousness. And in Galatians, Paul is combating that. He is dealing with a group of believers, keep in mind, that have grown up in a civilization, in a culture that followed the Old Testament laws and commands, which God gave many of them. Those had now been built on and added to by men. Uh, and many um, documents given by the Jewish rabbis and, and the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the, the leadership of that time even were adding to those constantly. And they were living this life of self-righteousness originally based on the Old Testament law. Now it had become much bigger. But there had been quite a few that had, since Jesus died on the cross, had come to faith in Christ. So... We have these believers that have been brought out of religion, false religion, faith in themselves, that now had placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But there were people that had come into the church, it seems, that were trying to pull them back, saying, well, you know, I mean, I know it's faith in this Jesus thing is, is good, but, you know, what about circumcision? And you say, really? That's the draw? Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. There's a whole other cultural concept that you and I probably can't understand with this. I definitely don't. But it was a draw for them, and they were struggling. And this church had erupted in fights and divisions because this is the way it's always been done in one sense. Jesus had come on the cross, even though they didn't even know what had always been done. It had evolved over time. Now Jesus had come on the cross, given them freedom from that, from the Old Testament law, to faith in Christ, and they had accepted that, but the teaching had come in from their old ways, from their old religion, and it was now getting mixed, and there was divisions, and people couldn't agree, and we're going to see all of these seeds of this. He says there in Galatians 3, 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? And he, he addresses this issue to them. He says, listen, you came to faith in Christ. God drew you to himself. And now you're going to go back to your old religious ways? Somehow you're going to be spiritual now because you're going to live the way you used to live? No. They had rejected their false religious teaching. Come to faith in Christ. But now somehow they thought, well, some of it's good. I need to pull that back in there. He says in Galatians chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's the way it used to be for you. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Don't take that old religious ways that you had accepted. Christ has now come. You are free. You are not under the law now. You're under grace. They'd, they'd been in the bondage in those periods for a false religion. Keep in mind... There was a period of 400 years before the New Testament, before Jesus even came, of silence from God. They had not heard from the prophets. A lot of things had happened during that time. A lot of things had been twisted. And these people had come out of that into Christianity. Now they're picking sides. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, circumcision is important, right? I mean, I need to be circumcised. And it wasn't even an issue of whether circumcision was good or not anymore. Now it was an issue of what was true and what was not true. And 
an assembled group of believers that was supposed to be a powerhouse for getting out the gospel, for building up the body of Christ and sending emissaries into the world to um, repeat this message, to duplicate this message, to make disciples. Now it just become a big ball of fights and chaos, all because of this, this doctrine. And what, what was the, I mean, what is the draw here? Well, for some reason, and we do this, right? We struggle with this sometimes. For some reason, we always want to go back to something we're able to do. Somehow, we always, as human beings, always want to go back to somehow we're able to do something to please God. Somehow, we're able to make ourselves look a certain way or be a certain way that somehow that's going to gain influence with God. And it's not that we don't act and believe and obey and do a certain things. Absolutely not. But we get it backwards sometimes. We do that to please God. When God says, have faith in me, that's what pleases me. And then go live the life I have for you. He's got a wonderful life. We get that backwards. They had gotten it backwards here. And he says in chapter 5, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, hey, take heed that you be not consumed says, if you keep going down this path, you're going to destroy this church. You're going to destroy it. And then he starts in our opening passage tonight, uh, this morning, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Would you ask the Lord to help us as we go to him in prayer this morning? Father, we need your wisdom. We stand before your open word. We bear our hearts humbly, knowing that we do not have all the answers. Lord, we seek you for answers. Lord, we seek to know our place in Christianity or our place in this world, Lord. I don't know where this finds every person in this room. Some have been saved, and they're in all sorts of different situations, all sorts of different stages of their growth in Christ, their sanctification. Lord, some have not come to you for salvation yet, and they're still searching Lord, I don't know all the situations, but you do. Would you please have liberty and leadership in our lives this morning as we seek to understand something that has been twisted in our world, the filling of your spirit. In your name I ask, amen. We will be looking on Wednesday night, Ephesians chapter 5, which gives the very straightforward command, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Uses actually the terminology that we're talking about this morning. But we're not actually going to use that terminology because it's not really about the term. It's about the concept. Concept. God, in many, many different passages in the New Testament, explains the concept of centering our life around him. Of our relationship with the Holy Spirit of God who now lives inside of the believer. And let's, let's just kind of give a... This is not exhaustive, okay? Kind of give a scriptural picture of who is the Holy Spirit. So we know we're all on the same page here. The Bible says the Holy Spirit was the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Many, many scriptures prove that out to be true. The Holy Spirit is the one Jesus said would come, the comforter. That, he, that when Jesus left this earth after the crucifixion and resurrection, he ascended up to heaven, the comforter would come. He says, you need me to go because the comforter will come. And he's going to do many things for you. He's the one who teaches us this morning the truth of the Scripture. Else you're just taking in words and information like any atheist would do this morning. But he brings the Scripture to our hearts and reveals who he is. 
What are, the, what are some of the ways the Holy Spirit um, helps us? Well, John 16, 8, when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Well, he, he convicts, he corrects. This is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. In, a, in Romans 8, 11, he indwells us. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, talking to Christians there, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you if you're a believer. The Holy Spirit leads in Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, capital S, they are the sons of God. Anytime you see the word spirit in capital S in the scriptures, it's referring to a person, okay, the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, there's diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. And he goes on telling these gifts that the spirit gives. Okay? The spirit fills. In Ephesians 5, 18, we mentioned this a minute ago. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Today... In our text in Galatians 5, we're focusing on two of these aspects, the leading and the filling. The leading and the filling. This is a spirit-filled lifestyle. It's something that you cannot generate on your own. It can only be given and truly lived out with God's spirit behind it and at the center of it. So what does this spirit-filled life look like? What, is it, what does it mean to live that life? Andrew Murray, you might have heard, he's, he's one of those... Um, old dead guys that is really wise and writes books and, and we've been inspired in so many ways. He, he wrote, being filled with the Spirit is simply this, having my whole nature yielded to his power. When the whole soul is yielded to the Holy Spirit, God himself will fill it. So it's not, it's not a magical thing in that sense. It is magical in the sense that you don't actually see it happening. But it's not magical in the sense that when God does it, he places his control upon our lives, and then we see evidence of that. Not any kind of, you know, whatever type of evidence, but evidence of behavior. It changes our behavior. It's not a behavior that we put on. It's a behavior that becomes us because of who is driving our lives, who is leading our lives. Allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you and I, it requires an ongoing, daily humbling of ourselves because it starts with that recognition that you and I are not qualified and we dare not lead our own lives. So we submit ourselves to him as a believer. Let's look into Galatians chapter 5, 16. We're going to go through several verses, but I, we're not going to read the whole passage because I, I want you to get these truths, seven truths. Number one, being spirit-filled means that I intentionally lean on the spirit in my choices, habits, and pursuits. I intentionally lean on the spirit. When I don't know what to choose, when I don't know the proper habit to make, or when I don't know um, one thing to pursue or not pursue, when I am unsure, or when I'm even at the beginning seeking out what it should be, what I should choose, what habit I should put in place, what things or concepts or places or people I should pursue or not pursue, I lean on the Spirit. I want to know what God wants me to do. I want to know. God, what would you have me to do? He says in verse 16, This I say then, in the midst of all this chaos and division in this church, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. 
These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. He gives us that really neat concept, I think. I love it when God just lays things out for us. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do this, and you won't do this. I mean, pretty, pretty self-explanatory, right? I mean, and he says, you saw that first word there, walk. Walk in the Spirit. You've seen all throughout the Scriptures that Christianity is a walk. It's a walk. In Romans 13, 13, we're to walk honestly. In 2 Corinthians 5, 2, uh, 5, 7, we're to walk by faith. In Ephesians 2, 10, we're to walk in good works. Ephesians 4, 1, we're to walk worthy of His calling. Ephesians 5, 2, we're to walk in love. In Ephesians 5, 8, we're to walk as children of light. In Ephesians 5, 15, we're to walk circumspectly, fully aware of what's going on around us in our lives. In Colossians 1, 10, we're to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 2, we're to walk honestly toward unbelievers, and the list goes on and on and on. Christianity is a walk. It is a life. It cannot be merely a segment of who you are. It cannot be. It is a life. It is a walk. And he says, within that walk, within your life, if you'll do it in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here, for them, he is giving them a solution. You want out of all this? Start walking in the Spirit. He says, I want to tell you how you got to this place in your church. All this turmoil and chaos and, and people uh, listening to teachers that are trying to get you to go back to the old ways, the old religion when you profess faith in Christ. Here's how you got there. You're not walking in the Spirit. If you'll walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is not a suggestion. This is one of those really cool spots in the Bible. He says, if you do this, this will happen. He goes on to explain it. You know, and in his goodness, he gives us a positive choice. Did you notice that? Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I think it's interesting, and it has to be in the wisdom of God, that he did not start out the phrase, do not walk in the lust of your flesh. He didn't do that, which would have been perfectly fine, because we're not to do that. But what did he do? He gave us a proactive choice to make, a proactive step to take, and if we will take that step, guess what? He doesn't have to say, don't walk in the flesh. If we'll walk in the Spirit, then we will not walk in the flesh. It's that whole concept of repentance, right? So many times in false religion, people will repent. They'll turn from sins. I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous is filled with people that are turning from alcohol, right? But true repentance is when we will turn from our sins to God, and it's a wonderful concept because if you'll turn from your sins to God, you'll automatically leave all of that. You just automatically do it. We're to turn to God. It's who we're repenting towards. It's what we're doing in our walk. If we're walking in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's a simple and profound concept. There's a battle happening inside our members that prevents us from being all that God would have us to be. He says, I'm, I'm going to give you the key to victory in that battle. Just walk in the Spirit. I know that's not glamorous. That's not a really cool and, and in-depth formula that we can really figure out and really bite into. It's a daily maintenance of our lives, checking our hearts, checking our direction and our intention. Am I listening to the Spirit of God? Am I yielding to the Spirit of God? Am I following God in this? 
It's an intentional not getting wrapped up in ourselves, our own ways, our own directions, and our own plans. Not that any of those things are wrong in themselves until we have followed those instead of him. Until we see that those contradict him. In order to know if those are contradicting him, we have to be following him in the first place. Walking in the spirit. Next thing we see is that being spirit-filled means I am easily identifiable as a Christian because I dress a certain way. No, that's not what it says. Because my attitudes and actions are full of spiritual virtue. My attitudes and actions are full of spiritual virtue. That is how people identify us as Christians. Did you know... In order for someone to know that my attitudes and actions are full of spiritual virtue, what do they have to do regarding me? They have to be around. They have to know me. They have to relate to me somehow. I have to be out in their sphere of influence. I have to be out with them at some point or another. It's so important to realize that when you leave this building today, you are going to go out into your sphere of influence, whatever that looks like. And for many of us, it's all different. And within that spirit, that, that, that sphere of influence, God has given you as his child opportunities to live a spirit-filled life in front of those people so that they see who you are, so they see who God is. But we have to be with them. Look what he says here in, in verse 19. There's certain things that are evidence that are obvious about whether a person is a Christian or not. He says it in verse 19. He lays them out for, for this church. He says, now, the works of the flesh are manifest. That just means evident. I mean, they're evident. Nobody's going to argue this. The works of the flesh are evident, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. We're going to explain them. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the picture of a person walking in the flesh. Matter of fact, he says this is a picture of a lost person. Someone that lives this way. This is a person that does not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, one of our favorite passages, right? Because this is so encouraging. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. He says this is where the freedom is. You were in bondage to trying to, trying to live the law and you couldn't do it. The law was never meant for you to gain righteousness with God. The law was meant to show you you're a sinner so you would come to God for salvation from your sins. That's what it was meant for. It got twisted around, and now we're having this stupid debate about whether circumcision is part of your salvation or not. With us, it would be something different. We could care less about that. We'll make it something else. All in an effort to somehow get our flesh involved in our Christianity. And we wouldn't even intentionally do it. we just end up there. How do we end up there? Because we were not walking in the Spirit. We literally didn't have to do anything. We just forgot or disobeyed or ignored the fact that we must walk in the Spirit. Because if we don't walk in the Spirit, we will fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Here's the works of the flesh he just laid out. He gives us this clear picture of what it's like to walk in the flesh. You know, adultery, so this sexual intimacy with someone that's not your spouse. Fornication, the word pornea, it's an umbrella term for all sexual sin outside of marriage. Uncleanness, it's that, that impurity, that perverse mind, that mind that thinks about unclean and impure things uh, constantly. Lasciviousness, it's that unrestrained indulgence in sensuality and, and sexual type things. I mean, the first four all refer to immorality, all four of them. Then he goes into idolatry, you know, the worship of anything other than the one true God. He says witchcraft, which is the Greek word pharmakia, pharmacy. This is the use of drugs, very prevalent in sorcery and witchcraft, altered states, the occult back then. May still be even today. I've never been involved in, in uh, the occult, so I'm not really sure. But hatred, that's that deeply ingrained ill will. It's not that I got mad at you today. It's that I hate you. I hate you. It's, it's in there. It's seething. Variance. It's that bitter strife and dissension between you and somebody else. It's like I, I can't even stand to be around you. Emulations, that je jealousy, and the rivalries. It's like I'm, I'm going to vie for that position in the church because I deserve it. I'm the better one for that job. Wrath, the fury, the rage, the outbursts of anger. The strife, the, the, the will to step on top of others to get what you and I want. Seditions, you know, allowing our divisions to split, to split relationships, to cause us to divide in, in the assembly that God has put together when he saved us by his spirit. Murders, I think we all know that. The slaughter, killing of another person. Drunkenness, that temporary state of intoxication as a result of alcoholic beverages and, and revelings. The list goes on and on. These, these public orgies, the, the party scene, the club scene. He says, these are all the works, the outpourings, the results of a life lived in the flesh. Did you know he listed every single problem mankind has? Every single temptation you and I deal with, it's all in that list, one way, shape, or form. He says, this is what it means to walk in the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit... This is what your life is going to look like. You know, and we can, as believers, and we can, we can go ahead and put works back into this and make this a whole judgment thing to where we separate these into two different lists, and now we're telling everybody, okay, yeah, yeah, you're not saved. Um, yeah, yeah, you are. We make it a whole works thing again. We do the same thing. This is a fruit of the Spirit of God. It's not a fruit of me telling you to do it, although reminders are good, right? It's not a fruit of uh, me telling you that you should not do this. It's not all up to me. God is your Father. He actually has given your pastors simply as a tool, a tool to challenge you to minister here in, in this place and sometimes during the week so that you can go back out into the world during the week and be what God needs you to be, what God desires for you to be, to be used of him the way he would have it. How do you do that? The Holy Spirit, he goes with you. I don't, I don't go with you. And I couldn't, I couldn't ever even bear that responsibility. But the Holy Spirit goes with you if you're a believer. We're, we're in this battle, we're in constant opposition. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter seven. He says, but I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me. 
but how to perform that which is good, I find not. This is, for all intents and purposes, a man that you and I would gain tremendous inspiration in the Christian life from. He says, here's what I know. I know that in me, that's in Paul, it's in my flesh, and in my fleshly person dwelleth no good thing. You say, oh, I mean, I thought Paul was a pretty good guy. I mean, really, he kind of puts me to shame sometimes, actually. Paul says here, there's nothing good in me. For the will is present with me. Oh, I want to do the right thing, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Of course, read the whole chapter for the context there, but he showcases in one verse, if we could, that conflict that is constantly there, even in the life of somebody we would think would be very spiritual. I want to do the right thing, but there is a battle going on. I want to walk in the Spirit, but the flesh is against me. It's against me. That's what he's, he said there. Um, oh, actually, it's in our next passage. So let's actually do that. Let's go to point number three. Point number three, being Spirit-filled means I have to put to death the sinful patterns of my old life before Christ. So he lays out for us that there are certain results of living a certain way. There are certain results that come from living in the flesh. There are certain results that come from living in the spirit. There are certain results that come from just allowing our life to be whatever it is. And there are certain results that come from intentionally following the Lord. And within that is some intentional choices. It is not at any point where we can just set it on cruise control. And now I have become spiritual enough. I've said enough things, said enough good habits in my life. I've said enough good intentions in my life. I've memorized enough scripture. Now I can pretty much go on cruise control. And I know, and I'm trusting God's word, um, I've gotten far enough and I can just cruise. I don't have to battle anymore. But being spirit-filled means I have to put to death some sinful patterns of my own life. You know, I don't believe there's ever a point where you and I even realize how far that rabbit hole goes till we get to heaven. It's going to be a constant life of God revealing things to us as we get closer to him, as he sanctifies us and pulls us further and further away from that person we were before we got saved. And we're constantly growing. We're constantly changing. This is why I think it's dangerous I think it's dangerous to say this is the way we're always going to do something and we're never going to do it any differently. Now, we, we believe right about our salvation and some core doctrines, but, but when it comes to living life on this earth, we're constantly growing. We're constantly learning things. How can any one of us ever say that we've got it all figured out and all understood? We always have to be open to growing and God revealing new things to us through his word. And there's going to be times where you and I have to put to death those sinful patterns. Look at verse 24. Chapter 5, verse 24, it says, And they that are Christ's, they that belong to Jesus Christ, that's us if you're a saint, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. There is, there is new ownership there. They that are Christ's. Maybe a good question for us to ask this morning. Who's, whose are you? Whose are you truly? Do you understand what it means to belong to Christ? Do you understand what it means that he belongs to you? How humbling that is? Do you let that affect the life that you live on a daily basis? It's easy to ignore sometimes who we belong to. I mean, you and I, we love the benefits of Christianity, right? We love the benefits, but 
when we're not filled with him, our, our flex, flesh takes back the ownership. Number four, being spirit-filled means that I am synchronizing my life with God's priorities and values. Synchronizing my life. You see in verse 25, it says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So there are certain things that just make sense. You know, my, uh, I have an Apple phone. And it's about the only Apple product I have, the only one I can afford. <laughs> I have an Apple phone, and it will sync with my iCloud account. What does that mean? That means whatever's on my phone, as long as I give it permission, is also on my iCloud account. I mean, it just makes sense. If I pulled up my phone, and I'm looking at all sorts of stuff, and then I went to my iCloud, and it looked totally different, I would think there was a discrepancy here. That's not my iCloud account. That's not what I signed up for. That's not me. And he, in very common sense terms, lays out for us, if you live in the Spirit, if you enjoy the benefits of the Holy Spirit of God living, and if you, if you enjoy the benefit of a promise in heaven, if you enjoy the benefit of salvation from your sins, freedom from the bondage you were in before you were saved, if you enjoy that, it just makes sense that you continue in that. It wasn't just a one-time thing. If you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Number five, being Spirit-filled means I resist pride in my relationships. You say, man, this is, this is a lot. It is, but it's not. It's really not. This is, if any of these are stepping on your toes, it is merely God in His goodness showing you from His Word, the sword of the Spirit, that this is an area that you are not following me in. This is an area that you are not walking in the Spirit in, because if we are not walking, like he just said, if we're not walking in obedience and submission to the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, then we are not walking in the Spirit. And if we have life from the Spirit, life from above, and we're going to enjoy eternity with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, then why would we not want to live in the Spirit while we are here? Why would somehow we would think that it would be some kind of an acceptable philosophy to have that, well, I, I took care of it here, and then I'll enjoy heaven here. There's a whole life I got to live right here. How would we think that? Well, that is the thinking of most of the lost world. Most that have not said, oh, I'm rejecting Jesus Christ. No, they haven't said that. Instead, they've said, well, there's a bunch of things I'm going to do. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I've done all of these things. I've done these rituals. I've attended the Catholic Church. I've attended this, this type of church or this type of church. Uh, Columbia was filled with those type of people. I mean, roadside shrines, people showing up. The Catholic priest was there giving, giving Mass. The people would stop in their car, would take the Mass, and would go along their merry way. No freedom in Christ. No joy. No fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because they were in religion, yes, but walking in the flesh. Being Spirit-filled means I resist pride in my relationships. Verse 26, would you read it with me? A few verses here. Let us not be desirous, let us not desire vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us not desire, we're going to continue but we're going to go through eight verses here, all revolving around pride in our relationship. 
He says, don't desire vainglory. Don't desire to be the best. Don't desire to be the one that's noticed. He's talking in a church setting here. Don't desire to be the one that everybody thinks is it or everybody just, well, I'm just very respected. So I want to make sure I don't do anything to diminish that respect. I, um, you have a whole list of things. And when somebody imposes on that, you cut it right there because your respect, the people's respect of you is everything. And there's something to be said for having a good testimony. That's not what I'm saying here this morning. He says, don't desire vainglory. Don't, don't even desire people to think of you that much because you're walking in the flesh. He says, don't be desirous of vainglory. He says, number one, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, this is the next chapter, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. He says, here, listen, you who are actually spiritual, you who are living in the spirit, don't, don't allow pride in there. Don't, don't allow yourself to get to the point to where you are now, um, somehow you've thought that maybe you have arrived a little closer, a little sooner than somebody else, and you now have a right to correct them. He said, no, you're a spiritual. Restore such a one. Bring that person that's been overtaken into fault. Bring that person that is really struggling spiritually and bring them back in. He said, here's why you do it. Understanding that you could be in the same place. And help them, love them. Verse 2, he says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, a person that's proud, not bearing the burdens of others. You know, pride, pride manifests itself in many ways. It's not just, I'm better than you. Sometimes it's just manifested as, I don't have time for you, because I have better things to do. I, I've, I've centered my life around my ways and my directions, and the things I think I should do, and so I don't have time for you. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. He keeps bringing it back to the word of God. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Well, that's, that kind of puts us in our place there, doesn't it? If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You're lying to yourself. But let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. This is, this is a life of learning what God would have me to do, following the leadership of his spirit, submitting and yielding to his direction in my life, digesting the word of God so that not that I can lord it over other people, not that I can somehow be more spiritual than other people, but simply because I may be in a spot one day where I need somebody to help me spiritually. I want to be in a place where I can help other people, and then I'm going to bear their burdens. Because that's, that's, that's who I am as I walk in the Spirit. And as I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm fulfilling the law of Christ. Why? Because Christ's Spirit lives in me. The law of Christ being uh, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law in the New Testament. Loving others as we have been loved and, frankly, as we love ourselves. Being spirit-filled means I resist pride in my relationships. Quickly, we'll do the last two. Being spirit-filled means I make daily choices that please God. I make there, is, there is no part of living in the spirit that can ever become um, less than a battle, that can ever become a place where you do not have to choose any longer. 
that can ever become unintentional. Walking always takes intention. The picture there is very clear for us. He says in verse number 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. He lays out in very practical terms, don't, don't fool yourself. God will not be mocked. In other, in other words, he's not going to say it's going to be a certain way, and then it's not going to turn out that way. God has made a decree. Whatever you reap, uh, I'm sorry, whatever you sow, you will reap. He says if you sow to the flesh, if you live in the flesh, you're going to of the flesh reap corruption. If you live in the Spirit, you're going to, in the spirit, reap life everlasting. There are natural results that will happen, and you cannot manipulate your way in or out of them. They are set forward by God. He will not be mocked. In other words, we will not get to the judgment and say, oh, you said it was going to be this way, but it actually turned out this way. No, no. God says, if you sow the flesh, then that's what you're going to get. So you cannot sow to the flesh and expect to be spiritual. You cannot sow to the flesh. You cannot live a life of your own direction, your own way, your own desires through the week, and then come to church on Sunday and expect to just have this revival in your life. You cannot expect your life to turn out in a godly fashion, in a blessed fashion, honestly, when you and I are walking in the flesh. We cannot expect to have love, joy, peace, and all the fruits of the Spirit if you and I are walking in the flesh those things come only as a result of walking in the Spirit because they are the fruit, the result of the Spirit of God. He does not give time frames. He does not give amounts. I mean, we could look at Matthew chapter 13. That is the seed of the Word God, of word of God falls on the good ground. It, it draws forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100, but it always gives fruit. Different ways, different shapes, different forms, different amounts specifically, but it always draws out fruit. That is the principle God has given of sowing and reaping. And lastly, being spirit-filled means I do not stop blessing those who are around me. You know, this, this is an encouraging passage, and we draw encouragement from it regular. He says in verse number 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In due season, in God's timing, we will reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I mean, that's a very practical passage for it, is it not? Sometimes we can be living that spirit-filled life. We can be walking in the spirit, probably not perfectly. I know I have not. But we're living that life. We have our intentions of following God, listening to his leadership. Really, um, even though we forget <laughs> a lot, I do, I'll speak for myself. Even though I forget a lot to ask what God wants me to do, to really even think that way sometimes, my intention is to walk in the Spirit. That's my intention. And sometimes, as I am acting out my life as a result of that, it can get discouraging. It's like, Man, I, I mean, I put all this effort into that person, or I put all this effort into this ministry, or I've done all these things for this person. Well, at that point, what I have to, number one, examine myself. Um, are you doing that for the Lord? Are you walking in the Spirit, or are you doing that in the flesh? 
Number two, if you're walking in the Lord, he says, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Just go ahead and take your timetable off of that and let God handle the reaping of it because it is coming. You do what God wants you to do. You follow his leadership. You will reap, and you'll reap of the Spirit. He says, for he that soweth to his flesh, verse 8, shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong passage, verse 10, (laughs) as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I, I think this morning... Let us do good unto all men of an opportunity we have across the street. To a woman, probably in her 80s, whose house was gutted last night by fire. As I looked out, about 7.30, looked out my office window, I, thought, I just thought somebody was burning brush in the backyard. And as I saw the flames leap up around the, the house and the chaos, I mean the chaos that ensued after that, Here's, here's a lady that's right next door to our church. And she has a church home, but there's an opportunity to do good to all men. And I know you'll want to follow through in that. He says, though, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Did you know you ought to be uh, part of an assembly of believers, if you are a believer? You ought to be a part of an assembly of believers that you are doing good to the people within that assembly. You are an actively doing good to the other members of this assembly. It should never be that you just show up and you're simply a listener. You're simply a receiver. The Christian life, sowing and reaping, relationships, both ways. You're giving, you're receiving. You're giving, you're receiving. And there's so much that goes into that. Our question this morning is, are we living a life filled, controlled, by the Spirit of God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just take a few minutes? We call this the invitation time where we invite you to respond to the Lord in whatever way He has spoken to you. It may be this morning as the piano starts playing that you need to be saved. You've never, you've never been saved from your sins. You've never turned to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, for forgiveness. And this morning you'd be interested to know more about that, or maybe you're ready right now. I invite you, as we stand, could everybody just stand, nobody looking around, all heads bowed and eyes closed, stand to your feet. I invite you, if you need to be saved this morning, just to leave your pew right now and head to the back doors. Somebody will meet you out there, show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. Would you do that? Just dismiss yourself right now. Do not think that we're going to have 25 verses of invitation to wait for you to do this. If you need to be saved, leave right now. Right now, do not wait. It's life and death. Believer, if God has spoken to you and you need to rearrange some things, you need to put off some things, you need to put on some things, I don't know what it is. Would you respond to the Lord as this invitation place?